Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Noons. Uh, Scott, uh, Nick and I are here too. This is Geist from Got Tech the Podcast. And this is uh, Nick from Got Tech the Podcast. Me and Geist are here today crashing Scott's show because we have a very special crossover episode between the TNT EdTech Podcast and our very own Got Tech the Podcast. We're super pumped. That means though that it's East Coast meets West Coast clash of the EdTech Titans Pacific versus Atlantic. I could go on. But in this episode, uh, we are talking together about podcasting, ed tech mashups, graphic design, branding, gamification, and so much more. This is one episode you don't want to miss. We are right now in the middle of the presidential debate, so I thought it would be fun to kind of play a little game with that as our our backboard here. So the idea here is we're going to pick two ed tech tools that you use to support one another in mashup fashion. So if you don't know what a mashup, it's basically using multiple tools to get an end goal and to solidify the process. So we're going to identify an activity uh, where these tools are used and how does it connect with the presidential debate? We're wondering. All right. So our main tool is going to be the presidential tool and our supporting role is going to be our vice president ed tech tool. And together that's going to make a powerful lesson and a powerful mashup. So Scott, why don't you go ahead and get us started on this? Yeah, I love that idea. So Two of my favorites, probably in my my top three, uh, would be Wakelet and Flipgrid. Smashing those together. They're both free tools, easy to use, low threshold for entry, nice graphical user interfaces, easy to pick up for students, parents, staff, whoever. Everybody I know, I try to get them to use these tools for anything and everything. So I use these a lot for tutorials, to curate collections of research. And I like turning these collections into study guides, especially with using things like Edu Protocols, Thin Slides, uh, Iron Chef, and Cyber Sandwich, which are uh, amongst my top three Edu Protocols. So I'll take something like Thin Slides, which is a very quick and easy way to get students to come up with professional-looking presentations, uh, real low threshold to entry. You show them like a quick little video of exactly what not to do. You show them like the worst presentation ever. And then you let them know what a great presentation looks like. And you keep things simple. So one image, like one sentence and one fact. And usually I'll give students curated link or set of links to draw information from. And we follow this model in our district, ace the question. So answer, cite, and explain or expand on that. So so uh, we'll, we'll start on that. They'll curate uh, a few of these over the course of a week, and then we'll start putting them into a wakelet. And then what students have to do is share out their answers linked to those individual PowerPoints or PowerPoint slides, and then, then cite it. And with each step, uh, they can use a graphic or text. And with the graphic, they can use like an infographic. They have to create something. So they can't just copy and paste it. They have to create it. And they don't have a ton of time, just enough uh, to keep their attention and just enough to get the task done. And then with student choice, 
teachers can kind of vary up what they want to do. And then at the end, I really like for them to uh, expand on the answer they gave. Let us know why they gave that answer and why they used that particular citation. And then kind of expand on that and kind of level it up with the Flipgrid video. And so that's where Flipgrid comes into play. And one of the student choice options that I offer for the answer and the site portion is also audio or video. Uh, which are both available and accessible in Flipgrid. And then uh, if I'm gamifying the lesson, I'll allow students to kind of get uh, bonus points for maybe like a prize or a sticker, kind of, you know, bragging points, I guess. Like, oh, I, I really dolled up this Flipgrid. I used a lower thirds graphic in it. And I used uh, this custom text that I imported from Adobe Spark or something like that. So that's my app smash. Man, you, you had a lot of great stuff in there. I really <laughs> like the uh, ACE answer site expand. That's awesome. Using Wakelet as that creation tool to put everything there and the Flipgrid to expand on it. I like all that a lot. Uh, the gamification part sounds awesome as well. And I'm going to just hop in real quick and, and give you mine. I, I, I'm using WeVideo for a lot of my creation stuff with my students and I have them make videos. They post it onto YouTube and then I take that YouTube video and put it on a Google site. Uh, there's something that Stephanie Howe uh, introduced Nick and I to when we had her on our show. Uh, you can follow Stephanie at Miss Hal 24. We'll put that in the show notes, but she introduced a 60 second film festival. So I really like how you mentioned, Scott, that you give them just enough time to stay focused and accomplish the task. And I feel like this 60 second film festival does the same thing. They have eight minutes to come up with an idea after they select a topic that they're going to do, eight minutes to film it, eight minutes to edit it, and then they, they present. So in my case, what I do is I give them the task, they work on the eight, eight, and eight, and then I have them upload it to a Google Sites. We put a form, a Google form there, and it allows them to vote on whichever one. They're not allowed to vote for their own, or I tell them they could vote for two, which means they're going to vote for their own and one other. And uh, at the end, we, we have an award. And, uh, you know, I just 3D printed an Octo Darwin. So it's an octopus with Darwin on top. It's actually <laughs> over my head. It's the uh, teal or blue colored uh, thing up on, on the shelf. No. But uh, they win the Octo Darwin Award. So that was my first unit was on evolution. My second one's going to be on uh, ecology. So I have to come up with something creative there. Maybe the Prey Mantis Award because I really like <laughs> Prey Mantis. But, uh, you know, something along those lines. But but that's my app smash. We video is my presidential by far because it's like a one-stop shop for student content creation. And once again, curation is big, especially in the student-centered world, because now we have Google. Well, we always had Google Sites, but Google Sites is a great place to put those. You could even put them on Wakelet if you wanted to and, and have them vote in there yeah. as well. So. And you guys are killing it right now. That's like a whole podcast in just the past six minutes. I mean, the, the ACE thing that you brought up, Scott, so cool. I wasn't familiar with that. And in the background, as Geis was explaining his, I've been checking out the Edu Protocols uh, Iron Chef template in particular. So cool. Uh, so that's something I'm going to be doing a lot more research into. Um, and of course, the 60 Second Film Festival, great idea. Um, and I know it works super well. What I've wanted to share was a little bit simpler, but I can tell you guys, especially any teachers out there still in a hybrid or a remote environment, it's been, it sounds weird to say, but something I've been using more than anything else in terms of saving time, doing something quick 
and easy, and that is handing out worksheets or papers digitally. Depending on your school district, there's probably lots of different ways that you can make this happen. We've all got a learning management system. Maybe you're on Google Classroom. Maybe you're on something else. That's typically the means to push stuff out to students. And we've got that too, but I found it a little bit clunky. Uh, Ours is called OnCourse. It's a smaller company, but for me to hand stuff out or push a document out to my kids, I got to go to OnCourse. I have to create an assignment. I have to attach the document that goes along with it. The students have to have their Chromebook or their school issued device. They've got to log into OnCourse, find that assignment, open the doc, make a copy. There's so many steps and it was just killing too much of my class period. So what I started doing was uh, if I have a simple Google doc that I want my students to have, I'll use the force copy trick. If you don't know about the force copy trick, you open up any Google doc, slide, sheet, whatever you want and go to the URL for that doc, slide, or sheet. And the very last part of the URL says edit, E-D-I-T. You can highlight, delete that, and instead type in the word copy. And when you do that, if you then highlight the entire URL again and send that link out to people, out to your students or colleagues or whatever, uh, when they click it, they are forced to make a copy of that doc, which is what I want when I'm handing out a worksheet because I want each student to have their own version so they're not editing mine. So, you know, the easy choice here is just email out that link. But I wanted something even faster that students could do without logging in to anything. So what I've been doing is turning that force copy URL from my Google Doc into a bit.ly link that students can simply type in on any device they've got. All they need is a phone, their Chromebook, a laptop that they've brought from home. So some sort of a personal device. There's no logging in. There's there's no nothing. They just have to pull up any browser. They type in my bit.ly link. It takes them to the force copy URL. And within five seconds, everybody has a copy of that handout, worksheet, slides, presentation, whatever it is. I don't use it all the time, but just for quick things that I want everyone to have, it's sort of been my go-to move. And I highly recommend uh, recommend that to any teachers trying to save some time. I will say this. Nick uses the word worksheet. I wish he would come up with a better term for that. <laughs> I, know, I know, dude. <laughs> your worksheets are not worksheets. I mean, they're hyperdocs. They're anything but a you know, a traditional worksheet. So when he uses that, he's using that term. I guess he's very humble of himself because these things are awesome looking and the students absolutely love them. I'd agree. And I would just add with, you know, what I've seen Nick produce that you've shared online, it's also in the vein of edu protocols, these kind of low teacher prep, high student outcome, uh, self-paced activities. So uh, I'm with you on that, Eric. They're they're not simply worksheets. They go above and beyond. It, it's a mashup in and of itself. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the compliments there. Let's get into our, uh, our next segment, which uh, we've called the All-in-One EdTech Throwdown. If you listen to Got Tech, the podcast, you know that Geis and I talk a lot about EdTech tools that do one thing, and they do that one thing really well. That's kind of what we like and always what attracts me to a tool is that it's, you know, it's simple, kind of like, you know, sharing out a bit.ly link. That's all it does. It's it's quick access, but it does it so smoothly and it's so easy and fast. So that's where we go to a lot on our show. But there there is also a place for ed tech tools that do lots of things, that do tons of different things. And, uh, and they do all those things pretty well, too. So that's what we wanted to focus on here. Uh, so in this segment, we're going to each spend some time naming and describing our favorite all-in-one tool instead of focusing on 
on that sort of niche market of it just does one thing super well. I figured I would kick it off too and let you guys sort of listen in and comment and tell me how close I hit the mark here. Uh, my all-in-one tool is probably not what we had envisioned from the start of this, but I think it really, I mean, for me, it is like the all-in-one tool. I'm talking about Google Slides. We did a thing recently where we had to, I think Geis and I challenged ourselves to pick if you could have one ed tech tool and nothing else, what would it be? And my immediate answer was Google Slides because it does everything. And if you're still thinking about Google Slides as only a presentation tool, you're not thinking about it in the right way. Yes, it does presentations, but you can use it for so many other things. One of those is simply discussions. Assign a group of students one particular slide and on that slide is where they keep track of their discussion. We've even recommended using the speaker notes for each slide almost as like a discussion board space where they have to leave their commenting. And guys and I have like a gallery walk template for this on gottech.com if anyone wants to check it out. Uh, So you've got a discussion board space. Creating videos. When you make a set of slides, if you didn't know this, you can go to uh, file publish to web and you can publish a web-based version of those slides. The coolest part is you can set those slides to playback automatically at certain speeds. So essentially, you know, if you play them back really super fast, you're getting almost like a stop motion effect to your slide. So it's, you know, it's it's a video creation tool. I use it all the time for worksheets as well. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call them worksheets after this, the, you know, the discussion we just had here, but you know, things that are would typically be thought of as worksheets, you can change the slide size from that normal, you know, the normal 16 by nine or whatever it is format to eight and a half by 11. I think it's like under the design tab or something, but you can set it to any size you want. And then you can have, you know, sort of have like a more free form workspace for students. Digital posters is another obvious one. And one of my favorite uses, I call them interactive clickable lessons. There's a ton of st- uh, different versions or, or titles for this, but just within a slide linking to different things or one slide linking to another slide. Uh, so you can set an image or a piece of text where when it gets clicked, it takes you to slide 32 in your slide deck and you can navigate like that all right so i see that nick upped his game a little bit there yeah he did um, <laughs> i'm gonna add one because uh one of my favorite things to do with google slides is pecha kuchas and uh scott do you know what a pecha kucha is i've heard of it but it's been about two and a half years since i've done one of those all right so before covid pecha kucha was taking over the open mic night so you would basically have 20 slides uh, in each second or each slide gets 20 seconds and you have to talk about that slide. It's just a picture or a graph. There's hardly any word, if any words, uh, and you get 20 seconds per slide for 20 or 20 slides. So six minutes and 40 seconds. And really, they this is a, a business way of getting people to not go up there and filibuster about themselves and their product. You have to go in and you got to know your stuff and you got to land your plane. So, I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. And I, I did an activity with uh, one of our classes here on Pecha Kuchas. Uh They loved it, but they said it's harder than your normal presentation because you have to be fully prepared and you have to practice timing, which that is a skill of presenting that students really, really need to work on. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. I myself have done a presentation where it was like that, where I had three minutes. Uh, Q calls it a boom. ISTE, I'm trying to think. They might call it an ignite. I think I could be slightly wrong on the term they use, but it's essentially a really rapid, you know, set time for each slide. And whether you're ready or not, that slide's changing. It goes automatically once you start going and talking. And it kept me really succinct, 
on point. I really like that. And I think it's great practice for students, especially for like a, a professional like elevator speech. Like if they're going to a job interview or applying for a scholarship in person or have to do a video, it, it keeps them very much in the zone and topic specific. There's no room for tangents uh, with the Pecha Kucha. I mean, I think these are all real world skills that students need to work on and learn. So Scott, why don't you go ahead with your all-in-one ed tech throwdown tool? Yeah, so really similar to Nick's, just a different presentation tool. So I'm going to throw Nearpod in the mix, a huge Nearpod fan. I really like its simple presentation features, and you can bring in things from Google Slides or PowerPoint. In our district, we use both. So we need something that accommodates both things. Uh, Each thing kind of has its strength, and you can really showcase uh, each program suite's uh, strengths within Nearpod as well. What I really love, and uh, if you'll allow me to place in the show notes, I have a bunch of graphics for checks for understanding. Quick checks that you can do either digitally, face-to-face, or in a hybrid setting. Things like yes, no, true, false, A, B, C, D. Things uh, students can place in a chat or place on a collab board within Nearpod. I really like the collaboration board. It can either show student names and really highlight student work, or it can be anonymous. And then uh, we strongly follow the PSYOP method, particularly their I do, we do, you do uh, method of gradual release and uh, Nearpod really allows us to do that well and succinctly, and it's it's easy. Uh, you don't necessarily, Nick mentioned earlier in the show, not having to deal with like clunky LMSs. Yeah, you can just kind of sidestep the whole LMS and pulling things from there. And I really like gamifying things in there. So I'll play little games within like I'll give a prize or give points in the class towards a prize uh, for whoever gets the most likes on the collaboration board or um, whoever does the most graphically pleasing answer for a particular answer or just playing the games that are in there, bringing in outside games and weaving those into the presentation. Uh, I also like that you can have students collaborate within there and comment on each other's collab boards and um, have these conversations with the whole class or if you're doing a hybrid model, the the home group and the class group. And you can also bring in some video creation with Flipgrid. And lastly, I like the LTI, the integrations with the different LMSs. They have lots of integrations with different programs like Flipgrid and LMSs like Schoology, uh, Google Classroom and others. Nearpod sounds like it's a, it's a game changer. I mean, being able to have all those tools and all those different games that you could bring into it and all of it plays nicely within Nearpod. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's something that I've always wanted to play around with, but it kind of always gets sort of keep pushing it off to the side for whatever reason. We definitely want to get your graphics in the show notes. I think that'd be awesome. But just could you tell me, Scott, because I'm so like super unfamiliar with the whole tool. How do how would the graphic plan again? You said the oh, kids yeah. can post them I'm in a sorry. chat. I left that off. Yeah. So typically, I guess I'm still in the distance learning model and we're transitioning to a hybrid model. So when sure. students answer, they're going to be answering in the chat when we're having this whole class collaboration or they can answer on a collab board. Uh, And so either uh, like in Nearpod or on a screen or wherever I'm displaying 
the question for them. I'll then display a graphic uh, just like you would on a slide. So all of these graphics I have are set in the 16 by 9 uh, standard uh, widescreen mode. So they're easy to format to Google Slides, PowerPoint, Nearpods. You really don't have to change anything from the standard settings. They're just going to kind of plug and play right there and take up that slide for you. And then you just have to embed that slide where you want that check for understanding. And these are designed like an edu protocol to be low teacher prep, high outcome, because I don't know about you guys, but for us in our district, uh, with this transition to distance learning and the hybrid model, it's a little more difficult to get students to engage. And so we have to be highly varied with our checks for understanding and have to have them more interactive and have them more often. And this allows us to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for the description there. I got it. I just wrote down Nearpod on my 2050 long list of things (laughs) to check out. So thanks, man, for for giving me something else to do. But that sounds really awesome. And guys, I think we're up to you, right? For your all-in-one ed tech. Yeah, I'm going to bring back an oldie, but it's a goodie. And and I'm going to bring back uh, Google Keep. I had to think because I'm tossing up between (laughs) two different ones here. But I'm going to bring back Google Keep. And I'm, I'm back in the classroom for the first time in six years this year uh, with AP Bio. And one of my biggest pet peeves is feedback, constant feedback. And Google Keep, not only is it a curation tool where you can add resources to there so you can push them out to students later, like if there's a certain site that I think would be a good resource for them, if they don't understand this concept, I'll keep them all on Google Keep and I'll push them out into their Google Docs or into their slides or anything like that straight from the Google Keep um, tool there. And then the other thing for the younger grades, I don't want to forget about them. Stickers, digital stickers. They love stickers and we're not able to provide them with stickers. So let's do digital ones. If you want to see something funny, make it a scratch and sniff sticker. Say scratch and sniff on there and see how many people try to scratch their Chromebook. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I've seen teachers do it. Uh, So that could be in there. I also like to put my rubrics in Google Keep because a student turns in a Google Doc, you just slide the rubric right in there as a picture. And then you can use uh, annotation tools and highlight what part of the rubric that their project fits. And you can do canned comments as well. I do canned comments for my formal lab write-ups. So I don't need to write, hey, you didn't uh, have both the X and Y variable as the labels on your graph, instead of typing that out 26 times, I just slide over the little uh, the little note card thing that Google uh, Keep has, and I slide it over there, and it's quick and easy feedback. It allows me as a teacher to save time, and that gives me more time to make up other cool stuff for the students to do later. Yeah, Google Keep, it's one of those I think deserves to sort of keep coming back over and over again. And there, there is some upfront work because you got to make that rubric, and you got to I guess, turn it into an image. I'm not sure if it's all, is it only images you can add into your Google Keep that like menu on the sidebar there? Uh, no, you can, you can add images. You could add text on little note cards. You could That's add right. links. You could add all of that. Yeah, it's just been a while, but like all, all kinds of stuff, but you get them in there and it's done. And then your whole, your whole grading scheme now is just, you know, drag and drag and drop from the Google Keep bar over into the doc that you're trying to give feedback on. So it's an awesome tool. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. 
let's go ahead and hop into our next one. And this is probably uh, my weakest skill in the whole education slash podcasting sector, and that's graphic design and branding. I wouldn't say the ideas behind them are weak in my part. I have great ideas in these things, but it's the execution. And I will say that both of you two are phenomenal at it. Uh, You have visuals that are very appealing. I can't make stick figures look you know, like stick figures, you guys can do things like what is on all of our websites. So naturally, I admire both of your capabilities very, very much. I have to rely on tools and templates to achieve an acceptable product. So let's just talk a little bit about how teachers are content creators and how it's important for them to realize that and realize that they have a brand, even though they may not be going out into the world and trying to sell something, but they do have a brand and Let's talk about the tools that will help them build theirs. Yeah, I like how you pointed out that teachers have a brand because it's just sort of like this new space for educators. And even if you're not, you know, doing what Scott and myself and, and Geis are doing, which is trying to, you know, create things, uh, you know, on a website that other teachers can use, even just for your own classes within your own district and that small community, you do have a brand. And, and the things that you're making, especially now that it's all digital and probably posted online, maybe even a class website, it's out there, man. People are looking at this stuff. And and you you sort of want to build that. At least I do. And I think it lends, there's a lot of benefits. Uh, even just like, you know, my PowerPoint slides for class that I used to project and guide the lesson or let students know what they should be doing. All that stuff is following some type of brand. It's got my little teacher logo. It's got a certain color scheme to it based on the unit we're in. I think the students pick up on that kind of stuff. I think they sense the quality behind it. I think they appreciate it. I think it helps them take things more seriously because they see you're not just giving them some scanned PDF from 25 years ago. They see that it's new, it's fresh, it looks nice, it's quality. And I think it helps me get quality back. And I think a big part of building that brand is, um, oddly enough, starting at like the simplest level, but really putting some attention to it. And that is choosing your your colors. Uh, a lot of people skip that, I notice when they're creating something and they're just throwing all kinds of stuff in there. You got, you know, five different colors, none of which have anything to do with the other. And they may not even look all that great. But if the first thing you do is say, okay, I feel like unit three on intermolecular forces should be blue. Then I got I got my blue color set out from the beginning and maybe choose one or two others that you can sort of pepper in there. And you just use that for all your worksheets or your assignments or your slides or the website that you post or or whatever it is, the student project. It's, it's an important skill uh, for us to have. And it's important to teach the kids that too, because a lot of these kids are going to go on uh, in business careers or, or, or just being self-made, you know, internet business people. And that's, that's a big part of this world. So they need to know that this is a thing. Choose the colors first. And if you're not sure how to do that, or if you think you can't, there's so many resources online that do this. One that I like is the uh, the visme.co blog on logo color scheme selectors. We'll have the link for this in the show notes if you want to check it out. But they have a, a bunch of samples there of like actual marketing, you know, brand color schemes that work well, which will kind of help get your own creative juices flowing so that when you are starting off the process of what is my class logo? going to be? What is my website going to look like? You can go there to get some inspiration or at the very least, you might think back to this moment and say, uh, okay, I'm at the beginning of this process. 
maybe I should choose some colors that I'm going to use consistently. Yeah, I know a lot of people, they have their favorite colors. This is also a way, this whole branding scheme is also a way for teachers to personalize their classroom with their students. For example, a lot of a lot of teachers use uh, Bitmojis to kind of express some of their interests throughout the year. It's, it's them, you know, riding a pony. So they like ponies. We know that. And that's cool. And maybe Sarah sits in the back left corner that doesn't say anything really likes ponies and that's how she opens up a little bit for me my biggest thing is i can't recreate the wheel because my wheel is square (laughs) so i mean i'm just i'm i know what i want to do but i just don't know how to get there so i'm going to use templates and one of my favorite sites is canva i'm going to use templates there i'm going to go in there find the colors that i like find the the template that I like. And instead of changing the whole template, I might just add a picture and that's my difference. I have a different title and a different picture, but the same colors. So I do that with a lot of our blog posts and our episode posts and things like that. You picked out a nice template for me and now I just modified. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) No, I love that. And along with that same vein, the one I'm going to throw out there, start with is Adobe Spark because it has those templates and tying in what Nick said with the colors, that's really important. They've already thought about that for you. So if you're not sure where to go as a former graphic designer that was one of my hang-ups that was not a natural strength to just be able to pair colors i had to use some of these templates and you know going old school we had a little color wheel and you're matching things up and seeing how they look and then there were prescribed things on the internet like hey we recommend this like autumn colors or you know here are uh, winter colors and here are some different swatches for that and the swatch is just a a little sampling of colors like maybe like five to seven colors depending on what you're doing and that's really nice if you do have access to the premium the sky's the limit their premium templates are phenomenal just like the ones on canva and another one that i'm starting to get into is adobe fresco so i learned about this tool and everything that it can do on your phone your tablet your desktop your laptop uh regardless of what you're using whether it's a chrome device you know a a windows device you can access fresco it's free and what i love about it is whatever you can do in the real world so whether it be charcoals different types of paints uh pencils pens markers you can do it in adobe fresco and it lends itself very very well with its layer development and brushes and strokes to the higher end products like Adobe Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator. So if you're able to use that and show it to your students and get them into that platform, hey, they may be the next graphic designer. You never know. Yeah, that's super cool. I wish I could uh, develop those. I, I must say I am getting better. Nick will probably back me up on this. I'm getting way better. But I, I just feel like my better is his average. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's a struggle, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep uh, working on my craft here a little bit. You are you are getting way better. Right? And that's kind of the cool part about all this. And you mentioned using templates. I use templates constantly. And that's how you grow. And Scott, I'm sure you know this. That's how you like you use a template once. But then it's that almost like becomes part of now it's your own skill set. And now your brain has that template in mind. And, and almost without realizing when you start you know, stealing color schemes from 
you know, Canva or stealing this template from uh, wherever you're getting it. It's it kind of builds your own repertoire, and then you sort of like magically can start doing some of this stuff on your own. And whether Geist believes it or not, he is getting pretty strong with the uh, digital media creation. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally second that. And just to add a touch to that, with general graphic creation, like going outside the template, start by tracing things. Find an, an image you like, preferably a simple one, and then start tracing it in something like Adobe Fresco, Microsoft Paint, or equivalent uh, that you have access to Google draw even and then go from there. That's how I started. And that's how a lot of people start. So that's a great way to start. And I guess that's a great segue to our our next segment, uh, leveling up with game based learning. This is something I really like. Uh, It's something I've gotten into quite a bit uh, over the last probably five years. And really, you know, it's not perfect now, but I'm closer to perfecting that. And I'm privileged to be able to share that now with so many teachers in my ed tech coach role. Uh, What are some ways, Nick, that you're doing this? Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. There's just, there's so much to learn and there's so much to perfect, but what an exciting space, the the whole game-based learning. I'm going to share something that I've created, kind of Geis and I created together, but I sort of adopted it as my own. Um, this is going years back. So if you're a listener to our show, you might've heard me talk about this before, but it's a good refresher. And I have sort of a new uh, spin on it too, just from, you know, recent things that we've been researching and taking a look at. So this is way back in the early days of Google Sites. Uh, Geis and I wanted a fun end of year activity. And we, this is for my AP chemistry class. The AP exam is over. You know, what do you do? Some teachers try to go and just like teach additional lessons, kind of push the boundaries. That's fine. I wanted to keep it real project based. Uh, Let the kids do something that's fun. Let them play games. And what we put together was an amazing race themed game that's built off of a a network of Google sites that kind of interlock with each other. Uh, The Amazing Race, of course, it's a longstanding TV show. Do they still run that? Guys, you're kind of the Amazing Race guys. It's still on. Just came back on, baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the show, if you don't know, it's teams of two people and they travel around the world and complete challenges. We wanted to replicate that. Of course, we can't travel anywhere, really, let alone around the world. But we can sort of mimic that by having a different Google site page for each location of the world. So we had like a Germany page. And for me, the Germany page was all themed about German chemists and work that they did and how it connected to stuff we've studied. And there's a London page. And that was, of course, connected to famous British chemists and work that they did and all these different pages. Uh, We had to go through some, you know, technical details that I won't get super into, but just things like, you know, making sure the pages were hidden, any sub pages were hidden from your homepage so the students couldn't see them because the whole point is that there's a progression of challenges. So they start in the United States and they can only see the United States page. And on that website is a you know, some sort of challenge, something that they have to complete. Upon completing it, they unveil a clue or a link or something that then gets them to the Germany page. Uh, and they have to have finished one before they get to the next. And we, and we made it super interactive too. So like a lot of the challenges did involve kids traveling just around the school. So we would say, okay, you've got to go to Mr. Bertel's classroom and, and ask him for his to look at the back of his watch, right? 
So there, there is some element of traveling and the kids, of course, thought this was super fun. And it's all sort of built off of these Google sites, which are, you know, are free to you to use with your G Suite platform and they work super well. I did think recently that I'd like to sort of embed this with uh, with ThingLink. ThingLink is something we also talk about a lot, but just incorporating that digital sort of that digital clue or digital puzzle aspect of the ThingLink image, or maybe even a 3D image uh, that the students can like click and zoom around and view and then find different uh, embedded annotations within that ThingLink. I think it could be a pretty cool addition to my Amazing Race game. But uh, if Sort of my parting word for this is, you know, how did we come up with this? Guys came up with it because he likes The Amazing Race. You think of anything you like to watch that's game themed, there's a version of that for your classroom that's probably out there already because people are making this stuff all the time. And if not, get to work on it yourself because I bet it comes out pretty cool. I, I really love that. But I think you can advance it even more with some wee video videos where you describe yeah. the uh, whatever task it is. Probably use some Google Tour Builder in there. Yes. get that uh, oh, yeah. whole traveling type thing. But uh, there's definitely ways to expand that a little bit. But I think that activity that you do, I know the, the students love it. And it's 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 fun to watch. It's it's very fun to watch because uh, you have them doing some raps. You have them doing some poetry. I mean, all that stuff. So it really gets them uncomfortable, which is, yeah, in my opinion, when students are uncomfortable, that's when they're learning the most because they want to fight back to that equilibrium. They want to be comfortable again, so they know they gotta they gotta do a task, feel a little uncomfortable, and work their way back. So that's great, Scott. What I see yours in the show notes. I'm intrigued, and I want to know more. Yeah. So mine, I have a couple. Um, I do some stuff for the Hunger Games, and then also an end of the year game board project. I'll start with the Hunger Games one. So uh, this is both like gbl game-based learning and i throw in some gamification so i have like a a point system uh kind of like in survivor really like you win a challenge and you get immunity for the next challenge so if you lose that one you're there's no risk you're going to get kicked out and uh, if you're not familiar with the hunger games essentially there are 24 participants uh from 12 different districts students create their own districts they they create posters i'm looking around because generally i have one right here but i think i packed it up uh (laughs) since i'm no longer teaching right now uh i i put it in the archive of things to bust out but uh we do interviews just like in the book we we act everything out and everything is customized for the students to increase their level of engagement and investment they get super into it so with their district they have to pick some things that they produce and everything plays a role within the larger game so they think of it as like one giant game and then there's several mini games or challenges within there similar to amazing race and so it'll start out everything's kind of uh not low prep but um there's a low threshold and low accountability so a lot of it's practice like okay we're gonna make our posters here's what we're looking for i'm critiquing them all the way as we're going through the novel and then once the characters in the book get into the actual hunger games arena that's when the class competitions for 
points start enacting. So there's like a training session and they do physical things. So in the classroom, we're shooting uh, Nerf bows and arrows very safely. I'm very <laughs> clear about this. I have a designated area. It's all blocked off, protected, labeled with tape. I have people monitoring. I like a station rotation. That's how I set it up each activity. And I have designated, I call them mentors, just like in the book and game makers to kind of make sure we're, we're being safe in the classroom. And I monitor the, the bow and arrow one, keep it safe, set everybody up so they're not <laughs> shooting across the room where uh, people are doing like a, a stone toss, which is really just a crumpled up piece of paper that they're throwing in the trash. So we're, we're kind of upcycling old documents with that. <laughs> and uh, there's a series of physical challenges as well, like, hey, planking. And they kind of know like, hey, come in like, you know, PE type clothes. And basically they go through these challenges and the last tributes, they get a prize. They they get a, a very high score on their final because they've already showcased their knowledge. We have some physical elements, but most of it is academic based. And so I'm bringing those in and uh, there's also an escape room that we kind of do and it's all knowledge-based things like, hey, figure out the answers to these questions. And there's physical and digital locks. Like I have a couple physical lock boxes and they need to go to certain pages and find an excerpt and then kind of decode what that means. And they get a number and then they go over to the lock box and lock it, get the next clue, so on and so forth. And then at the end of the year, we just do uh, create your own board game, either digitally or physically with a uh, game elements from your favorite games. We play a lot of games at first to figure out what we like, set up the ground rules, they come up with instructions, work in teams, and it's definitely a four C's activity. So I know that's a lot I threw at you guys, but there it is. Oh, and I got props. So I also 3D print some things and just showcasing an imperfect example here. I'm holding up some coins for those of you that aren't seeing the, the visual representation. So these are some of the the attributes that they can get little badges and they count for points uh, uh, in the different battles. That is super awesome. I, I will probably pick your brain later on because this Hunger Games thing is going to happen. I just have to figure out. It's intense. It, it, it's a lot. I could probably do a whole podcast on how to set up yes. that, that one thing. It's taken me five years to really nail this, uh, but I think I've got it now. Yeah, so... My my gamification is digital and physical escape the rooms. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I think uh, I'm going to actually punt over to a different one that I will explain, and I'll actually put a copy of it in the uh, show notes. But uh, digital and physical escape the rooms, I think that's one of the first things that I really enjoyed doing as a tech coach. I think I have somewhere around 20 physical escape the rooms. We had an old computer lab that I would doctor up. One of my favorites is the uh, World War One, World War Two escape the room. Uh, I would actually have sound effects. You know, they're in the trenches. They could hear the gas canisters and, you know, things like that. Um, tons of World War One, World War Two sound effects. And they would be solving puzzles. Uh, I would uh, do a wireless um, connection to the presentation system in there and I'd give them, you know, clues and stuff. They weren't allowed to talk to me. Uh, I was never in the room with them. So if you actually did an escape the room in a city somewhere, it was kind of exactly like that. I came up with some of the most bizarre puzzles. Nick can back me up here. <laughs> 
I mean, I I had laser pointers that they had to adjust to certain locations in the room and where they intersected on the wall. It, it was a UV light letter that lit up, and that once they got the five UV light letters, uh, that made a word, which was their their uh, code to get out of the that lock, open that lockbox. You know, just weird different things like that, and a lot of them I would I would make up as I'm like supposed to be sleeping at two in the morning my brain just <laughs> thinking and i'm going with it uh but the the other thing uh we did a forensics murder mystery where i got to kill off nick it was so much fun um he we actually put makeup on him and i will show or i will share the uh the project with you as well just so you could check out what nick looks like with a little bit of makeup on dude i, I wish it was makeup we used uh ketchup <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forgot uh, there's ketchup i thought we used a little bit of eyeshadow but that's okay oh, man um <laughs> but i'll link i'll link that project as well but basically the students practiced uh seven or eight different forensic skills in the bio lab and after they got done with that then we actually set up a crime scene and i interviewed different teachers to be the suspects uh they had to play the youtube videos which were the interviews and would like narrow it down to who they thought committed the the crime and then what they would do is they would get hair samples or or different um fabric swatches or footprint samples and things like that and they would run all this evidence through the the eight seven or eight skills that they learned in class so at the end they did a dna electro or gel electrophoresis and um if they got the right suspect obviously they solved the crime if they didn't you know something was bizarre whether it was the fingerprint analysis that they had to go back and redo or whatever but you know the students had a great time doing it and I did invest a lot of time and energy in the creation of that, but we can use that every single year. It's something that's not going to go away. So now it's on its 10th year. If I spend 40 hours making up that site, that's four hours. And every year that we use it, you know, that investment time goes down because I'm sharing it with another eight, 10, 12 classes within the district. So I think it's just an awesome way to gamify the classroom just a little bit especially we do it in the month of June uh, when everyone's ready to, you know, get out of there for summer vacation. It really keeps them interested in, in uh, doing more. That's awesome. I mean, I think I want to propose because we just pretty much put together the podcast and all podcasts right here, guys. I don't know if you realize that that's what just happened, but there's so many great ideas. I think Scott's got to come back on in a couple months once we're all settled into this wacky school year a little bit more. And we talk exclusively about designing like the most insane game-based uh, lesson you ever could think of where we're bringing in all these hunger games, amazing race escape room things all in one classroom game to end all classroom games that's my proposal do with it what you want but if you're a listener you can look forward to the possibility of this in the future oh i would love that count me in for that i'm all about game-based learning gamification i have fun doing it and like eric just thinking up you know, these tricky, complicated situations that are easy enough for them to get through, but oh, so challenging to where they like struggle with it. Like, I know they can do it. Everyone in the class can do it, but they're really going to have to think and think critically, right? Hitting those four C's with this. And they're going to need to work collaboratively because we all think and process a little differently. They're going to need that 
kiddo in their group who thinks a little more analytically and work together to make it happen. Yeah, I I think we're definitely going to have to do this episode and it might be cool to do it on StreamYard and actually, uh, I don't know, walk ourselves through making a couple of these activities uh, within it. And I think that would be very valuable because the hardest thing is, is getting in that game mindset. Once you do a couple of them, then all of a sudden your, your opportunities and what you come up with, it's insane. It's very addicting as well. So that pretty much wraps up this podcast episode. This was a lot. This was awesome. We had such a great time, Scott. I'm so glad that we got this together. Scott, where can we find the TNT EdTech podcast? Yeah, follow the TNT EdTech podcast at www.tntedtech.com. Your favorite podcast player of choice. We're on all the major podcast players. And follow us on Twitter at tntedtech.com. You can follow myself on Twitter at uh, Mr. Noon's Teach. And Nick, why don't you bring us home for Got Tech? Sure. You can find us uh, online at gottech.com as well as the podcast on, uh, like Scott said, pretty much anywhere that you like to listen to podcasts. Of course, we always like to encourage you guys, if you are a repeat listener, or maybe if it's your first time to give us an Apple podcast review, it helps out. And uh, especially just spread the word. Tell your friends about Got Tech. Tell your friends about TNT EdTech podcast and stay tuned for possible uh, more crossovers in the future. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.